Welcome. Good morning. It's great to have you guys here today. Thanks for being at Church Unlimited. Thanks for joining us. I want to say a quick hello to all of our campuses real quick. Thanks for being a part of our services. Let's also give it up for our God Behind Bars guys real quick. We love you. Appreciate you. We're talking on family. What a fun topic this is because all of us have a family. Every one of us deals with family issues. And today I want to talk about the brutal family. It's beautiful, yet also has a brutal side to it. So we're going to unpack that today and talk about fights and difficulties and how to overcome those types of things. Because every family, I don't care how beautiful your family seems, you got fights. Every one of our families do. So we excited about talking about that. Before we get started, though, let's say our mission statement together as a church. We are here to do what? To take as many people to heaven as we can before we die, period. That's what we're all about here at Church Unlimited. Again, thanks for coming. Thanks for being a part of our services today. I'd also like to thank those who watch online and through our television ministry. Thanks so much for being a part of our program today. Heard about this young lady named Jennifer. She was getting married. She's so excited. And uh, she was excited to get married, but there was one little complication that's not uncommon nowadays. That her mother and her father were divorced. Her mom had not remarried, but her dad had remarried. And so mom and dad were both coming, you know, but dad's bringing his new, much younger wife to the wedding. Well, that was fine. It kind of worked out all the details of that. The problem was is that she was over at her mom's, then she was over at her dad's, and she noticed that her mom and her new stepmom both bought the same dress for the wedding day. So she's like, oh, this is a disaster. What do I do? So she goes to her dad's new wife and says, you know what? I, I, you, it, I'm so excited about getting married, and I did notice that your dress is really beautiful, but here's the problem. You bought the same exact dress that my mother was going to wear, so if it's okay with you, do you mind exchanging your dress and getting a different dress? Dad's new wife said, yes, I mind. I love that dress. I put it on. It looks great on me. I am absolutely not changing that dress. She needs to change her dress. She's like, oh, you got to be kidding me. So she goes to her mom. She's like, Mom, um, here's the deal. Dad's new wife, she has the same dress you do for the wedding day. Mom, I really feel bad. I've already asked her to change. She won't do it. Will you change dresses? She's like, you know what, sweetie, it's your day. Of course I will do that. I mean, if she's going to be difficult, that's fine. I will absolutely go get another dress for the wedding day. So she comes back a couple weeks later. We're really getting close to the wedding at this point. And she sees her mom. She's like, hey, Mom, did you get a new dress for the wedding day. She says, I sure did. And she shows her the dress. She's like, oh, mom, that's beautiful. I love it. Well, I hope you got your money back for the other dress. And she says, oh, no, I'm going to keep it. She says, oh, well, but mom, you don't really have an occasion to wear that dress. She goes, oh, yeah, I'm going to wear it. I have an occasion for it. She goes, what's your occasion? Oh, it's easy. The rehearsal dinner the night before. That's why I'm going to wear that dress. <laughs> Family. <laughs> Family can be brutal. Maybe you're in a blended family situation and you know just what I'm talking about. Or maybe you're not in a blended family situation, but you still notice that you can be gunning for each other in your family. I mean, family means that humans are involved and therefore you're going to have conflict. That's part of family. And so how do you deal with conflict? No matter how great your family may be, just under the surface of all of our families is some conflict. So we need to learn to deal healthy with, in a healthy way with conflict. So pull out your notes if you would. Let's talk about this today. And so the brutal truth about a beautiful family is that there's still things that you have to work through. Let's look at some scripture today. Look at Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. It says, if you cannot control your anger, you are as helpless as a city without walls. Wow. So the first thing you need to know, number one, is that the reason our families go from beautiful to brutal is unresolved anger. Unresolved anger. Now let's just talk about that for a second, because if you don't learn to resolve anger, 
Unresolved conflict leads to unresolved anger, which means that your family will be fractured. And so if there's a constant battle going on in your home, you've got to learn to solve that battle. Maybe you're in the middle of a fight right now with your kids. Maybe you're in a fight with your spouse. Maybe your kids have ganged up against mom or dad, or kids are really good at trying to separate mom and dad. You know, that's not what mom says, dad. That's not what dad says, mom, right? And so they're good at working those angles, right? And so what do you do when you're in conflict? Well, the first thing we need to know is there are four simple ways that all of us express anger. And so it's important to know the way you express anger so you can try to avoid that because all of us express anger in different ways. And so I want to give you four simple ways. We find these in four different biblical characters uh, in the Bible that people express anger. So let's just jump right in these. The first one, the first way we express anger, Genesis 4 verse 5, we see Cain and Abel. It says, Cain was very angry and his face grew dark with fury. Maybe you're the one that gets furious, right? And so he was dark with fury. Why are you angry, the Lord asked him. Why are you, is your face so dark with rage? It can be bright with joy if you will do what you should. But if you refuse to obey, watch out. Sin is waiting to attack you, longing to destroy you, but you can conquer it. And of course, one day we know he doesn't do that. One day, what does he do? He goes out and attacks and kills his brother. So the, the first way we express anger, many people, number one, is the machine guns, right? This is the machine gunner. This is the person when they get mad, they just, they finally blow up and, and turn to their spouse or their kids and just go, and take everyone out, right? They just unload. The problem with this is that you, you unload with all your anger and it doesn't resolve anything. In fact, then it makes it worse because then you say things you regret. You ever done that? You ever said stuff and you're like, man, I wish I could take that back. The problem is once it flies out of your mouth, it's there, right? And you can apologize all day long for it, but you still said it. And so the machine gun is not really the way to deal with anger, but it can be a reality. Heard about this police officer. He jumps in a squad car, calls the station. He says, uh, I have an interesting case here. A woman shot her husband for stepping on her wet floor. She had just mopped. <laughs> station says, well, did you arrest her? He says, no, not yet. The floor's still wet. Smart man. So sometimes we deal with anger in the wrong way, and maybe it's the machine gun person. Maybe you're yelling at your kids, snapping at them, right? Or maybe kids are yelling at each other, or, or there are some kids that yell at their parents, right? And so we're all yelling at each other, and, and nothing's getting accomplished. And so the machine gun is one of the ways. Now, here's another way. Oh, this one's dangerous. Number two, this is the mute. This is the person who goes silent. When they get quiet, be very afraid. You ever known someone like that? You offend them and they just get quiet. They're like, okay, that's fine. And you're like, oh no, what have I unleashed? What kind of evil is lurking now because they've gone quiet, right? This is the person, this is the woman who incessantly starts cleaning everything quietly in the house. You're like, I'm scared to death. Or the man who goes out into the garage and tinkers quietly because he's just brewing, right? And so this person gets, gets quiet, the mutes, right? It says in Jeremiah 15, 17, Jeremiah, what must have been this kind of guy, says, I stayed by myself and was filled with anger. Why do I keep on suffering? Why are my wounds incurable? Why won't they heal? So Jeremiah got angry and he got quiet, and some people are the mutes. They just get very quiet. Heard about a woman. She said, you know, I've been giving my husband a silent treatment all month long. And he came to me and he said, wow, honey, we've never gotten along so well. Sometimes it doesn't work. 
So the silent treatment is something a lot of people try, but again, the problem is that you're quiet, but you're still having any, you still haven't resolved anything, and so it doesn't really work. It's true the volume may be lower in the home, but it, you still have unresolved anger. Now the third one is a popular one too. Number three is the martyrs. The martyrs. This is the professional pity party thrower. They are good at being a martyr, right? And so it says in Luke chapter 15, verse 28, this is the older brother. This is a story about the prodigal son. This, remember, the prodigal son is, is, a, is it's a, it's a picture of God in us. And, and, and so the, the, the father gives his son because the son says, Dad, I don't want to live here anymore. I don't like your rules. Give me my money. I want to get out of here. Just give me my inheritance. I'm going to go live on my own. So he leaves, and he blows all his money on fast women and fast cars, fast everything, right? So he basically goes to Vegas, and he just goes crazy comes back broke, right? If you read the prodigal son, and when he shows back up, he realizes, wow, I really screwed up. I blew up my whole inheritance. And, you know, I mean, now, now he's living horribly. He's, he's doing really bad. So he goes to his dad humbly, and his dad, of course, accepts him back and is happy that his son's returned. And so he forgives him, puts a ring on his finger, puts a robe on his back, throws a party, says, my son's back. Praise God, I have a relationship with him again. The problem with that is the older brother, who didn't do anything wrong, is really hacked off. He's like, are you kidding me? So he goes out, blows his entire inheritance, comes back, and now you celebrate him. You haven't thrown a party for me. And he's really upset. But look how he shows his anger. It says in Luke chapter 15, 28, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. He wouldn't go into the party. His father came out and begged him. He was being a martyr. Woe is me. You know, this isn't fair. Life is difficult. The martyr always can tell you all the reasons why their life is unfair, why everything goes bad for them. I'm the only mother who has teenagers who don't respect me. Really? You really believe that? Are you kidding me? Look around you. Are you this is crazy, right? I'm the only one who has a problem with my boss at work. I'm the only one one who deals with this. I'm the only one. And so this person is always telling me about how, why they're the only ones dealing with it. And I, why is it, woe is me. I can't believe they're always a perpetual victim. The martyr is okay. And so they're always telling you about how bad their life is. This is a pro- professional pity party thrower. The problem with pity parties is no one wants to go to a pity party. So people eventually leave and get away from you, and you don't realize, why don't I have any friends? And then it gets worse. You're like, not only do I have this problem, but now no one wants to talk to me about it. It's it's because everyone's tired of the negativity. drives them crazy. And so people run from this kind of person over time. So the martyr is another way that people deal with anger. And then the last one here, this is also a popular way people deal with anger. The Pharisees dealt with anger in an inappropriate way, too. They They first went to Jesus above table right? And they're like, why are you this way? Why are you that way? And they're mad at Jesus. And they didn't get him anywhere. So then they began to realize, I'm not getting anywhere talking to Jesus. So now I'm going to talk about Jesus below the table, right? And so this person, number four, is the manipulator. The manipulator. And so sometimes when people get angry, they want to manipulate you. Luke chapter 6, verse 11 says, at this, the enemies of Jesus were wild with rage and began to plot. They begin to plot his murder. Maybe someone's not plotting your murder, but they may be plotting to embarrass you, plotting to cause a problem. This is the son or daughter who doesn't say anything weird or negative in front of mom or dad, but whenever they're with their friends in public, then they do. Why? Because they know it embarrasses mom and dad. And so the way they show their anger is they're like, I'm going to make mom look stupid. I'm going to make dad look dumb, right? Or how about this one? The master manipulator is also good at withholding love. I love you. I don't love you. You ever, you ever had a child like that? That I'm just going to withhold my love because you withheld the car keys, so I'm going to withhold my love. You withheld the cell phone, I'm going to withhold my love. You withheld my ability to go to the friend's house, so I'm just going to seal it up, right? And, and the reason why they're so popular parents among kids is because what else do they own? They own nothing. All they really know that they can hurt you with is the fact that you love them, and so if they withhold the love, it hurts you. 
This is why parents give in. I can't take it anymore. Here's the car keys. Just tell me you love me. Don't do that. You're being manipulated. And so that's what they're doing. Or how about this one? Self-sabotage another one. They know that you value them. So if I hurt myself, it'll hurt you. That's the craziest one of all of them because it's hurting themselves. You know, I know I'll quit school and, and be broke because my mom and dad will be really disappointed and hurt. They're like, yeah, but you'll still be broke. Do you realize that? Like you're hurting your own future too. And so, but they're not worried about that because if it, if it does damage to you, I'm good. And so this is a manipulation. So right now, as you look at all four of these, go ahead and circle the one that's your personal favorite. Which is the one that you do? All of us do one. And so everyone's all sitting all quiet. You know what? If you're not going to circle one, no problem. We'll just have your neighbor who loves you and knows you really well circle one for you. <laughs> right? Because they know which one you are. So circle the one that fits who you are. Now let's just admit it. Because we all have one of these over the others that we express our anger. Or maybe you're like me and if I'm really mad enough, I can go in 1.5 seconds through all four. Right? <laughs> Anyone else can pull that off? Right? I can go from machine gunning you to going quiet to being a martyr and manipulating you within a second, right? <laughs> and so we have all kinds of ways of expressing anger in the wrong ways with one another. So go ahead and circle the one that, that is you. Go ahead and do that. Please don't point across the, the aisle. That's very rude, but yeah. We all know we do this some way, right? We all have a way of expressing anger. Oftentimes, it's in the wrong way. Well, here's the problem with all four of these ways of expressing anger. Here's the problem with it. You can express your anger that way, and it may, may make you feel good for a moment, but here's the problem. You could do this for months at a time if you want. Here's the problem. You're still angry. Nothing got resolved. So you yelled at someone. You still have a problem. Uh, so you went mute on someone. You still have a problem. So you manipulated someone. You threw a pity party. You still have a problem. In other words, it didn't resolve anything. See, the problem with these, these ways of expressing anger is that it does show that you're angry. It just doesn't resolve the anger. You're, you're still angry. It doesn't, it doesn't do anything. So how do we actually solve the anger? How do we deal with the unresolved conflict? John 8, 32 says this. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you what? Free. And so we have to learn to tell the truth to each other. Now, I didn't say yell the truth to each other. We said tell the truth. It doesn't say tell the truth with extra verbiage of cuss words. It didn't say that. It didn't say tell the truth while you insult them. No, it doesn't say that either. And so, again, just because you're telling the truth doesn't mean it's, 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 it's coming across the right way. So, like the person says, well, I told them. Well, you may have, but you also lost your job because it was your boss. Or you also lost your marriage because you've been berating them. With It may be true, but no one wants to hear it that way. Does that make sense? So there's a way to say it. And so it's not just the truth, but there's a way to deliver it. Look what it says in Proverbs 12, 18. Reckless words pierce like a sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. You can tell the truth in a way that brings healing to the situation. And Ephesians 4, 29 says, do not, harm, do not use harmful words, but only helpful words, the kind that build up and provide what is needed. And so we have to say it in the right way, in the right context, and timing does matter. So you got to think about that. If you've got a really hard truth you need to tell a loved one, I recommend something like this. Hey, honey, uh, we need to have a talk, but I want to wait until you're really in a good spot emotionally because it may be a kind of a tough conversation. So just let me know sometime in the next couple of days whenever you'd like to talk. They're going to be like, okay. And then they'll probably come to you within a few moments and say, okay, I'm, I'm ready. What, what do we talk about? So you just gave them a little warning? Because let me ask you something. Do you like to be surprised by a hard truth? I don't either. So if you just show up and just gun at me, I'm probably not going to have the best response, right? I bet you're the same way, right? 
If I just show up and I just go, hey, we never talk because you're always doing this and you're never doing that. I mean, they're going to be like, whoa, 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 ah! And all of a sudden you just ratchet everything up and now you're just going at each other. And that's probably what you've already done. And so those of you who are fighting every day, let me ask you a question. How's that working? That's the problem. It doesn't work. So there's a way to do this. And so number two is to tell the truth tactfully. Tell the truth tactfully. So we're not trying to say skip the truth. We're not trying to live in denial. No, we're going to tell the truth. We're going to do it in a way that's tactful. Let me give you a couple of hints here. One of all, the first thing I would say is never use the word always or never. You always do this. You never do that. Both are just not true. They're easy to pick apart. You're always late. Well, actually, last week on Tuesday, I was not late. Oh, well, you're almost always late. In other words, no one's always late, right? Or you never do this. And then I can quote one time they did it, and you're like, well, I guess you did do it that time. And so always and never just aren't realistic. In fact, I recommend getting it off of them completely and using something like this. You know, I feel like you're not worried about time when I am. I feel like you're late a lot and you don't care. And I do care. I just, I just feel, I feel like it's a respect thing. Okay, see, they can, they can argue whether they were late all the time or not, but they can't argue that you feel disrespected, because that's your feelings. So, so you can say, I, I, I feel like you're manipulating me. I, I feel like you're don't, you don't care about this. I feel like you're disengaged from the kids, and that really bothers me. I'm really trying as a dad or as a mom here to really, you know, raise our kids right, and I feel like you just plop down in your chair and ignore what's going on around you. I feel like you're, you know, you, you, you just kind of checked out. I feel, whatever you feel like, just tell them how you feel. And so, and just be honest about it but do it in a tactful way. It's a big deal that we learn to do that. Hey, let me just stop real quick and just mention, I want to encourage you to be here next week, because a lot of times people tell me they come to church because they want to get close to God. I think that's a pretty good reason to come. But you may be sort of hitting the glass ceiling spiritually, meaning you're like, I feel like I'm just not that close to God, and I don't know what's holding me back. Next week is how to get close to God fast. So be sure to be here for that, because it may surprise you what the answer is. So I want to challenge you to be here in God's house. If you're ready to go deeper in the Lord, you're not going to want to miss next week's message. So be sure to be here. Next week's message is about how to make our family of God great again. And so be sure to be here next week as we talk about how we can really grow close to the Lord and experience the kind of walk with God that we all want. So be sure to be here and be a part of that message. Now let me tell you something about truth. Another thing that that you need to know about truth with families is that it may be a truth that you tell them that they don't care about. I'm just being honest, like, in families, one of the brutal sides of family is that you have different values even than the ones you live with. I mean, this may shock you, but you can raise your kids and pour your values into them, and they still may not value your values, which is very frustrating. Anyone else frustrated by that? Like, I raise these kids to be a certain way, and then they totally blow off what I'm saying, right? I get it. I preach to 10,000 people a weekend or more, and yet I have a hard time getting three individuals in my home to believe the way I believe, right? And so, because here's the thing that's, that's difficult with your kids, especially, is that your kids actually are their own human being. I know that frustrates you, but they are. They have their own choices and decisions to make, which is very frustrating because we try to shape them and shape them with our values, but sometimes they don't, they don't get it yet. And part of this is because they may not value the same things you value. Part of it is because their little frontal lobes are not developed, right? And so they just, they don't understand why you're telling them what you're telling them. And so there's some truth to that too. And also, I will tell you, parents, that part of, the, part of giving your values to, to your children especially is that you need to realize that they're not going to understand the need for the value until they've already gotten it. They've already received it. So, so you're going to be fighting them over a value they don't understand. It. It's like kids, a simple example is brushing teeth. 
You know, you can sit there all day long and say, your teeth are going to rot if you don't brush your teeth. Or you can just say, I don't really want to fight with you. Get in there and brush your teeth, right? You've probably all done the second one, right? Because you tried the whole, if you don't brush your teeth, they'll rot out. And you're like, oh, whatever. That's not going to happen to me as your tooth falls out right in front of you, you know. <laughs> but the reality is by the time that they know they need to brush your teeth, if you just try to just instill the reason without enforcing it, by the time they know they need to brush your teeth, they don't, they don't have any teeth left. It's very similar to why you just tell your kids that you're going to church, tell them they're going to youth camp, even if they don't want to go. Why? Because by the time they know they need God, they've already messed up so much that they've damaged themselves. So it's a lot better for them to fight you. So, so you, you can choose which anger you want. They're either going to be frustrated with you that you make them go to church, or they're going to be frustrated when they're an adult 10 years later after leaving your home and they come back and they go, why didn't you make me go to church? Didn't you realize I needed that? So which one do you want? You want them hacked off now or later? I'd rather have them hacked off now and get church in them and get God in them, then 10 years later, I can't tell you how many countless friends I've had that I remember in high school that just blew off God and just did whatever they wanted to do and had virtually no rules that all went back to their parents in their 30s and went, what the heck were you thinking? Well, I thought I was being your friend. I didn't need a friend. I needed a parent. So I would rather have my kids angry with me now at 14, 15, 16 than have them mad when they're 30 going, mom, dad, did you even love me? What in the world were you thinking Let me go do that? I wasn't ready to handle that. So I'd rather tell them now at 14, 15, 16, you can't handle that yet. Yeah, I can. No, I know you think you can because your friends are doing it, but your friends are screwing themselves up doing that, so we're not going to do it. Well, you're so strict. Yes, I am because I love you. And so which battle you want? You're going to have a battle either way. You've got to get over this, that, that in your family, parents, you're not their friend. You are not their friend. I, I'm friendly with my kids, but I'm their dad. I'm not supposed to be their friend. Does that make sense? So I got I to gotta just enforce the rules. It sounds all nice in a sermon. It is really hard to do in my home. How, anyone else can relate to that? Like we can talk all big in here, but man, doing it at home is tough. It is difficult to do it, but you got to do it because it's the right thing for them. And so I have to just tell them, look, I know you don't understand this, but this is the way the rules are going to be because I love you enough to tell you this. We're not going to do that. And so you just got to enforce the rules. And so as hard as that can be, if you have a good reason for it, then just tell them the reason. That's a big deal. And I'll talk about some of that last week. But the reason I wanted to bring this up is because um, if someone gives you a hard truth that you don't relate to, that you don't agree with, remember this. You're a family, which means it doesn't have to make sense to you. If it's a problem in the family, it's a problem. Let me give you a point. Let me give you a case in point. If, if you are late perpetually and your spouse is really bothered by it, if she, if she or he is not bothered by it, no problem. No harm, no foul. But if they're really bothered by it, you say, well, I just don't value being on time. But they do. So the question is, do you value them? It's no longer about whether you value time and being punctual. Do you value them? If you value them, learn to be on time. Does that make sense? Because part of being in a family is that it's not just about you. It's about working together. How many of you guys have kids that when you say, would you clean up the kitchen, they go, I didn't make that mess. <laughs> Anyone have a kid that does that? Anyone have a spouse that does that? Okay, so it's like I tell my wife all the time, I'm like, you're raising four kids. I'm the fourth, you know, and so. But it's true, we have a tendency to say, well, I didn't make that mess. But if you let them get away with that mentality, you're teaching them to, to be an individual living in a family. It doesn't work like that. You're a family which means that families do things that affect the community. So, in other words, well, I understand you didn't make that mess in the kitchen. Let me ask you something. What part of the mortgage did you pay this month? Oh, none? Oh, so I paid your portion of the mortgage. 
then maybe you should clean my portion of the kitchen. Does that make sense? It's a family. We're all in this together. And so since, since last time I checked, I'm paying for your college, I'm pretty sure you can clean the dishes. Does that make sense? Like, you can do a part, I'm doing a part, and collectively together we all have a role to play. Part of maturity is getting your eyes off yourself. When you're a baby, right, you're, ah, I want, I want this now, it's mine, 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 right? Hopefully you're still not saying mine, mine, mine at age 32, <laughs> right? At some point you say, ours. At some point, you say, I'm sharing my life with others. And so maturity is actually the ability to look beyond yourself. And we live in a very narcissistic culture where everything is about ourselves. This is a huge problem in our world today. So we've got to get our eyes off ourselves, or in the case of my home, get our eyes off our phones, right? And realize there's actually a human on the other side of the room and learn to engage with each other. Does that make sense? And so the only way that's possible is that we're going to have to learn that part of being a part of a family is adjusting your decision-making, adjusting your habits, adjusting your lifestyle to meet the needs of people in your home. So I know it's good for you, but it's not good for everyone else. I don't want to eat now. Well, your mom made dinner, or I made dinner, and it's, it's hot right now, so you're eating now. Even if you don't, but I'm not hungry now. Well, get hungry. You're eating now. You need to adjust when you eat to when we have it made. Why? Because we're a family. Does that make sense? So we have to be willing to adjust with one another. And so, and let me just tell you this. If you have a nonstop fight going on in your home, mark my words, this is something you can tweet right now. If there's a fight that's nonstop in your home, someone is not taking responsibility for their actions. We're always fighting, which means someone's always blowing someone off. That's the only way a fight continues. When you change, the fight goes away. It's real simple. Make a change, no more fighting. Change doesn't happen, fighting continues, right? And so when I hear people say, oh, I just don't know how the fighting's going to stop. I can solve it real fast for you. Tell me where they're offended, quit offending them. This is not complicated. This is extremely simple, but we're not willing to do it. This is the teenager who's home 10 minutes late from curfew, and then you fight two hours the next day over it. Was it worth two hours? Ten minutes? You got to help them process that. They're like, yeah. I've been sitting here for two hours fighting my mom and dad about it. I just lost the keys in my car. I just lost my phone. I can't go out with my friends. Over 10 minutes. Was that worth it to you? No. Then you may want to come home 10 minutes earlier, right? It's like the husband and wife are nonstop fighting all the time. Well, she's always fighting me because I go hang out with my buddies. Are they worth that to you? Are they married to you? Did you devote your life to them? then are you willing to throw your marriage over, away one, over one or two buddies? You may just want to say, we're not hanging out anymore because it bothers my spouse. We're done. And so we've got to be willing to make adjustments. If you're not willing to make adjustments and don't really consider yourself, then don't call yourself a good family member. There is no such thing as being a good husband, good wife, good kid, and not being willing to make adjustments. That's family life. That's doing life together. Does that make sense? This may surprise you. I don't preach on the sermons I want to preach. This is why a lot of churches are empty, because preachers are preaching sermons for other preachers to impress each other with how spiritual they look. I don't talk about seminary topics. I bore you to death. I always ask the question, what do you need? That's what I'm going to talk on. Because I'm not here for me. I'm here to honor the Lord and meet a need for you. That's called being a part of a family of God, is meeting each other's needs. Does that make sense? 
The bottom line is, if you're going to be in a family, you've got to get your eyes off yourself and focus on the other person. So let me show you some scripture on this. It says in Proverbs 12, 16, a fool is quick-tempered, but a wise person stays calm when insulted. So here's the thing. We just talked about telling the truth to one another, and everyone's all, all amen in that one. Oh, amen, tell the truth, right? That also means as a family member, we have to be willing to receive the truth. So we have to be willing to, that when we tell the truth to our spouse or our kids, they're going to tell the truth right back. Oh, yeah, well, you always do this. Uh, what? Yeah, Dad, you always say or do this. Okay, you're right. Are we willing to receive the truth? See, we can all deliver the truth. Are we willing to receive the truth? Look what Matthew 5, verse 48 says. This is a tough scripture right here. Listen to this. It says in the message translation, In a word, what I'm saying is grow up. Wow, sometimes I just wish the Bible just put it out there. You know what I'm saying? In a word, I'm saying grow up your kingdom subjects. Now live like it. Live out your God-created identity. Live generously and graciously towards others the way God lives toward you. He says live out your your, your God-given identity, your God-created identity. You know what part of your God-created identity is? You're a kid in your parents' home, and those are your parents. I know you say, God made a mistake, put me in this family, but he didn't. Or you say, man, you know, this is so difficult, being a mom or being a dad, but it's your God-created identity. You are a mom. You are a dad. You've got to learn to realize that that's going to change your role. That's going to change your life, the decisions you have to make. And so to be a part of a family, you've got to recognize the God-created identity you have. And so if you're in a family, quit acting like you're single. You're not. You're not one in an apartment. You're a family. Make sense? And so... It's amazing to me how people wonder why their families break down when you pretend like there's other people around you that aren't there. We've got to live and function alongside other people. Number three, take responsibility for your part. We've got to be willing to take responsibility for our part. And let me tell you why this is important. Because everyone wants to talk about family, about changing those around them, but no one wants to talk about changing themselves. But what's the only person you can really change? Yourself. You can't change your kids. I've tried. It doesn't work. I've tried and tried to put a little remote control in their mind, and it won't work. So I realized the only thing I can do if I really want to change them is change my parenting style, change my communication approach, change my tactics, change, change how I respond to them. And if I'll just change me over time, it changes them. But the Bible is very clear on this, that the fruit of the Spirit is not other control. The fruit of the Spirit is self-control. So the answer is, Lord, what can I change about me? I can't change my spouse. I've tried but I can change me. I can't change my kids. I've tried, but I can change me. You know, students, you say, I can't change my parents, but I can change myself. That's right. And so I want to challenge you today to realize if you want to make your family better, the answer is to control the portion you can control. And so if you've got a family of five, you can make a 20% correction of your family, your portion. Family of four, you have the ability to control 25% of your family's interactions you. Family of three, your odds go up. You can control 33% of that family. You get the point? All you can control is you. Would you bow your heads with me? Every head bowed, every eye closed. Would we just take a moment? With your head bowed and your eyes closed, just think about how you've been expressing anger and ask the question, Lord, is this working? Is it working? Is, is being a manipulator working? Is, is being a martyr working? Is going mute Getting me where I want with my family is becoming a machine gun and just yelling and screaming and breaking dishes. Is that working? Probably not. 
Maybe your prayer today is to say, Lord, help me, God, to tell the truth tactfully. But Lord, help me to take responsibility for my part. I can't control them, but I can control me. Make that commitment today. And say, Lord, I just want to control my part. I'm tired of fighting, God. I don't want to fight every day in my home. How about you? So the answer is, Lord, for us as a family to change, to make some adjustments, to realize that let's just remove what we're fighting about. Let's just take care of this problem. Let's just, let's just make some simple changes so we're not always fighting. Unresolved conflict leads to unresolved anger, and unresolved anger, guys, leads to divorce. Unresolved anger leads to you not having a relationship with your kids. Unresolved anger leads to factions and fractions that, that can last decades. Life is too short not to really love your family. So let's not have unresolved anger. Maybe this will foster a good conversation on the, on the way home today to say, honey, we need to talk. We need to talk about this issue. Because if you want to have a beautiful family, you're going to have to have some brutal moments, some brutal honesty to work out those issues so you can really be one with one another. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, make that your prayer day. Say, God, I want to work this out. I don't want to be fighting with my spouse all the time. I don't want to be fighting with my kids. I want to have a great family. I want to enjoy ourselves. So I want to resolve this problem today. Choose today to say, Lord, we're just going to, we're just going to come to some resolution so we can quit fighting and, and start to really have peace and harmony and connection again in our family. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, God loved you so much that he sent his son Jesus to reconcile you to him, to, to, to get a right standing with him once again. Bible's pretty clear that we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. We've all done things that, that, have, that have taken our ability away to be in right relationship with God. And if we're not in right relationship with God, we don't go to heaven. I don't know if you knew that. So the way to be in right relationship with God again is to accept what Jesus did for you at the cross. He paid the price for your sins and for mine. Then Jesus rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, you can receive Christ right now by praying this very simple prayer. Would you pray this prayer with me? We're going to pray it out loud together for those who've never received Christ. You can receive him right now. You can just pray this prayer. You can say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sin, and I believe you rose again. I repent of my sins. I ask you to come into my heart, be my Lord, and be my Savior. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. In your name we pray. Amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.